0: You know, you're great. Right. You know, and then maybe two hours later, they're going to say, Yates, you know, what's three plus three? You know, and you're going to say six. And They're going to be like, Yates, man. what school did you go to, Yates? Like, I've never had a leader like this who, you know, I can answer these great questions. Right. You are listening to the Higher Ed Podcast. We uncover the future of higher
1: education, current trends, insights from the sector's brightest, and actionable advice for leaders and executives, creating impactful universities, well-branded colleges, and best-in-class student experiences. Join us as we redefine the sector one episode at a time.
0: Yeah, I, I'm a Penn State graduate, you know, uh Nittley Lion. Uh, you know, uh, I believe that, you know, the creator was a Penn State fan. That's why uh the sky is uh, blue and white, right? Um, you know, so from there <laughs> you know, I, I've done everything from, you know, uh credit card uh sales to uh mortgages, um raising money for charities. Um, but, you know, my career really took, you know, took off when I got into uh, education. Right. And, you know, it was kind of one of those things. I remember my mentor uh, told me that what he was most passionate about was not the amount of money that he made, you know, but the amount of people that he was able to hire, develop and and, and just grow personally and professionally. You know, when I first heard him say that, you know, Yates, I, I thought it was yeah, you know, I thought he was just talking, right? You know, uh oh, this is a great sales pitch, you don't really believe that. Um but as I started to progress and develop in my career, um and then I started to, you know, grow, you know, uh get promoted and then uh I was able to hire and develop people and see a person go from an admissions representative all the way to a director of admissions, a campus director, um some people even regional uh vice presidents and VPs. Um, you know, and as I started to kind of embark on that journey, um, you know, I didn't have kids at the time. So I was like, wow, this must be, you know, how parents feel because when I would, you know, see someone get promoted or see someone, you know, elevate in their career, you know, sometimes even not with the organization that we were with, um, I mean it was so rewarding, right? And I became extremely passionate about doing that. Um, and as uh we continue to kind of, you know, ascend, you know, in the career Uh, we started to run into consultants and consultant groups and it really inspired uh, myself and my partner to say, hey, you know, maybe we can expand, you know, the mission and vision, you know, uh, with companies by actually stepping outside of one organization and being able to consult uh, for multiple clients. But one thing that we really noticed was that a lot of, you know, the consultants, it just didn't seem like, You know, they would work. Right. You know, hey, here's a great idea. You know, um, you know, if it works great, if it doesn't, you know, who cares. Right. And what we wanted to do was something different, which we call active performance and growth management. And we wanted to not only come up with great strategies and and, and techniques and approaches for our clients, but we actually wanted to get in there, kind of roll our sleeves up, get in the trenches and actually make sure that the recommendations or suggestions that we had would actually bear fruit for the organization. And that's kind of how engine was born. And, um, that, that's our mission.
1: Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Um, and you know, come on, one of the things that, you know, over the years, um, you know, we've had conversations, and I think it, it, it's always kind of resonated with me. And if you think about the, the verticals that you guys work in, whether it's, or that we work in, you know, whether it's in education or, you know, healthcare, behavioral health, the engine is, is the admissions process, right? If it's the, you know, the admissions team or the intake team, you know, however it's labeled, depending on, um, you know, which industry, that's, if that's not working, You know, not that nothing else matters, but, you know, you've got to have a strong engine to be able to, you know, keep the doors open. And, you know, uh, so one of the things that I've always heard you talk about is the the five pillars of of admissions management. Can you talk to me and just kind of walk us through, um, you know, what that means to you and how that um, having that fundamental can help, uh, you know, really drive the admissions for, you know, education, healthcare, and, and and the like?
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, You know, there's no students, there's no school. Right. And, you know, if nobody knows about your level of care, you know, then there's no one that you can actually care for. So, you know, I was kind of brought up or developed with, you know, you always start with a basis, a foundation. Right. And the five pillars of admissions management, uh, number one is staffing. Right. Uh, are you fully staffed? Are you properly staffed? Right. And then what do you look for, you know, in, you know, uh, your admission staff? Right. Are there certain qualities that you feel like are going to be successful uh, depending on the core competencies or the missions of your organization or your school uh, or your healthcare care or behavioral health practice? Right. That's essential. Right. After staffing comes lead management. Right. How do you manage the leads? Right. What's your. what?
1: I want to go back to something there real quick, sorry to interrupt you there, but you mentioned about staffing. One of the things I remember you telling me a long time ago was your philosophy was to you know, hire people that are better. Right. I think a lot of times, and this is one of the key things that I really want everybody to focus in on this. I think a lot of times we get in this mode of, we say we want to hire the best people, right. but sometimes we get in our own way. And maybe we're intimidated that you know, maybe they're going to take our job or we're going to, you know, they're going to become the superstar. Talk to me a little bit about what you meant by that when you told
0: me that years ago. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I'll tell you how I can kind of bring that full circle, right? So, you know, when I was working with the school group in uh, San Francisco, right, Um, you know, big city market, you know, the cold word for San Francisco is the city, right? And I was interviewing this this young guy, right? And, uh, you know, sharp dressed, you know, slick, you know, and, you know, he comes in and I'm like, man, this guy's cocky. And, you know, we do the group interview, you know, he excels, you know, and I bring him back in for a second interview. Right. And I'm still young in my management career at this time. And I'm a little intimidated. Right. But I know this guy's really good. So, you know, this is after the second interview, I bring him back out for the third, you know, and I say, all right, listen, you could do the job. Right. I I know you could do the job, but you think you're better than me. And this is what the guy says. He says, well, I do think I'm better than you, but I don't know anything about admissions. And I've really got to learn admissions from you. And I'm willing to do that. Right. So I look at him. Right. I said, you know what? I'm going to hire this kid. Fast forward that to today. That kid is the CEO of our company engine. And what that did for me was it started, you know, my growth from realizing that, you know, I can invest all of this time into someone that, you know, I have to create and develop or I can hire someone that knows what they're doing and is better than me and that's going to propel uh, the entire organization and that's the best decision for the organization. So that was actually my first experience in doing that and I learned from that uh, throughout my career. Absolutely. So, so the second one is lead management, right? What's your philosophy on lead management? You know, what do you do with the leads? With your rotation, with your distribution, with your follow up contact strategy, right? That becomes extremely essential, right? And then next is performance management, right? How do you manage performance? Um, How do you hold people accountable, right? What's your cadence of accountability? After that is uh, what I call employee development. Uh, Training and coaching, what's your approach to that, what's your frequency, how consistent are you with that? And then lastly would be what I call employee engagement, right? How excited are the people that work with your organization? How excited are they about working with your organization, right? If they clock in at 9 o'clock, is it 9.02, they're looking at the clock and they can't wait to leave, or they're staying, you know, after it's time to clock out because they really want to be a part of the mission. Right. They're engaged. They believe in everything that the organization is attempting to do. Right. Um, especially in sales. Right. The more competitive the organ, uh, the the organization and the culture, um, the better it's going to be, because my philosophy has always been if if your employees leave Thinking about, hey, how am I going to beat Yates? How am I going to beat Todd? The next day, they're not worried about their job security. They're not worried about losing their job. I mean, they're literally thinking about what can I do to be the very best each day that they go into the office. So those are the five pillars. Um, I think that you know you have to start with that foundation, and everything that you do uh, with your admissions team um, has to be predicated on that. Uh, whether it be healthcare, behavioral health, or education.
1: Sure. You know the interesting thing. You know, just kind of circle back to you know the training and development piece. um, I was was reading a study here recently, and companies that have a robust training and development program, on average, on average, their employees make 214% higher than those companies that don't. On top of that, the that those companies on average made 24% higher profit than those that don't have. Uh, you know, this robust training and development program. The last piece that I thought was really interesting was, you know, you think about today in the modern age and our our ability to, you know, click online and find a million different jobs and maybe, you know, fall under our, um, you know, kind of in our wheelhouse. 40% of employees will leave a company within, within one year if they don't have, if they don't feel like they've been trained and developed the way that they need right. to. For those companies, on average, it's anywhere from 15 to 25 percent depending on the company in the industry of that person's salary to actually replace them and then hire back somebody you know maybe at that same salary maybe a little less maybe a little bit higher so it becomes extremely extremely challenging um you know if, if you don't have a great training and development program and i remember we were having a conversation yesterday
0: and i always go back to
1: sports right so i think about tom brady i'm not, I'm not look i'm not a tom brady guy but. You know, I will say when you look at his success and you look at when he came out of the, you know, into the NFL draft, you know, you look at this, this guy who's got dad body, you know, at 22 years old, and he's got now, he's got a nutrition coach. He's got a coach about PR. Wow. He's got a position coach. He's got a strength condition, All these different coaches, right. right? And I think one of the things that I'd like to, you know, for you to elaborate on this a little bit is. We we get in this
0: mindset of that people don't want to be right, talented. right, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And, and so so it's
1: if, if Tom Brady wants to be coached. I'm pretty sure all of us
0: could be coached, right? Right. So a couple things with that. So can you give me your, you a know, kind of right, Couple out? things with that. So Tom Brady, right? You know. So you know what about the Tuck rule? You know what about Spygate? Right? You know if we talk about some of those things, you know, and I'm just joshing you here. You know, maybe he's not the goat that he actually is. But when you, the, the, the the important part about this here is your A players want to be coached. They want to be developed. Um, but, you know, what I've always taught, you know, admissions managers is that what it takes in order to develop them takes more from you. And a lot of times leaders aren't willing to put that in. Right. So now I'll give you an example. Right. If you break your performers down, then the A performers, B performers and C performers. Right. A lot of times, what happens is your C performers will be who most people spend the bulk of their time with, right? But it's an ego boost, right? So a C performer is going to say, Hey, Yates, you know, what's two plus two, right? You're going to say it's four. Right. And they're going to say, Yates, you're a genius. You know, nobody's ever taught me that before. Like, you know, you're great. Right. You know, and then maybe two hours later, they're going to say, Yates, you know, what's three plus three? You know, and you're going to say six and they're going to be like, Yates, man, that, what school did you go to? Yates? Like, I've never had a leader like this who, you know, I can answer these great questions. Right. Strokes your ego. Right. You see a return on your investment from training them in terms of the praise that they give you. Right. You get excited about that. Right. Your A performers are going to say, you know, what's the square root of X times some quadratic or crazy divided by, you know, quantum physics, right? You may have to scratch your head a little bit, right? You actually may not know. You may not know the answer, right? So then what that takes from you is a higher level of development, right? And then sometimes with your A performers, you know, you take Tiger Woods, you take Brady, you may only knock a couple levels off of their strokes, right? So, you know, maybe, you know, Woods is, you know, uh, 78, right? So now your training session gets them down to a 77, 76, right? Where you want to spend the bulk of your time is with your B performers because those are the ones that, you know, maybe you can take a person from, you know, 95 to 84, you know, in terms of golf strokes, right? but you also want to spend time with your A performers because those are the ones that are typically going to be your future leaders. Or if they're not getting that attention, they're going to leave because you just left them on the island. And a lot of times what you can also do as a manager or leaders, you can send the wrong message. Okay. So, you know, I'm an A performer, but I see you spending all your time with Brad, who's a C performer. All of a sudden I start to perform at a lower level because that's the only way that I get Yates attention. Right. So we kind of slow down the entire culture, the pace of admissions because either we're not willing to develop. We're, you know, basing our training more on praise as opposed to, you know, what I always say is never, never sacrifice productivity for morale. Right. At the end of the day, you know, we can throw a party, but we can be nonproductive right so that's something that I never want to do so I think that that part becomes extremely important and I think what the patriots have built is you know a culture of learning a culture of training a coaching of uh, of coaching but you know employee development coaching and training is really just preaching if you don't have a stern consistent performance management system in place because there has to be a reason why you actually want to improve right? And some of that's going to deal with the cadence of accountability and things that you have to do, if that makes sense. This episode of the Higher Ed Podcast is brought to you in part by Engine Systems, an active performance and growth management company for the higher ed space. Engine Systems provides extraordinary insight, develops data-driven strategies, and works in conjunction with your institution to bring about the results, and outcomes you need to expand your mission to more and more students. Engine Systems focuses in five distinct verticals, admissions training, CRN implementation and utilization, media management, call center operations, and active performance and growth management, which covers everything from staffing to budgeting. To learn more about Engine Systems and schedule a free discovery call, please visit our website at engine.systems. So, Kamar and I were having a conversation
1: leading up to the, uh, you know, Clemson-Ohio State game, and he's telling me it's going to be a blowout. And, come on, what did I tell you who's going to prevail
0: in the game? You said Clemson would win because they have experience. Right, and and here's what I mean by that.
1: Outside of just the experience, right, because it's
0: great to have an experienced team that's gone
1: through it, is they have a system. And so, I'm watching the game, and it's starting off, and I'm thinking, you know, Kamar's right on this. You know, they're up 16-0. I'm watching the wheels fall off. And but they stayed true to what they do, and I think this is relevant to you know the new manager um, to develop a system. And here's what I mean by that. So Davo Sweeney, huge fan of his, um, at halftime of that game, they had not played well. Right. They were still in the game. The score didn't look like it. You know, the score was close, but in all reality, Ohio State should have been up. Should days. have been up
0: thirty-one nothing at the half. So the halftime, yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. So so at halftime, they interviewed the coaches. Uh, Coach Day of you know Ohio State comes out and if anybody saw the interview, um, my, my opinion of it was it, it was a lot of excuses. It was well, we should have had this. I can't believe they called that, you know, and just uh, almost complaining, right? And a, the, the very next interview they go over to Davo Sweeney and he gives a list of here's X, here's Y, here's right. Z, here's what we did wrong. That's not Clemson football. Here's what we're gonna do to fix right. it and we're going to be just fine. He made that comment three or four times, like, this is, like, we're going to stick to what we do. This is custom football. Like, we'll be fine. So I messaged Kamara right after that, and I said, uh, something along the lines like, did you see that? That's exactly what I'm talking about. Just watch. Right. Uh, now, the game is not getting close, but my whole point in this is that Davos Sweeney has developed this, this system that he believes right. in. They recruit the exact same way every right. year. If you look at their, their offense. They aren't changing schemes all the time. If you look at it from game to game, yes, they're making game adjustments, but they stick to their strengths and they, because they have this system in place. So to your point, I think it's really important to, you know, as you start making that transition or as you're hoping to make that transition to, to your point, to let people know so that you can start to, not just on your own, but have people that have done it, help you develop a system right that will allow for your entire team to be successful. If your team's successful, you're going to be successful. Right. That, to me, is, is extremely important and something that I just really wanted to go back to because I think you saw it. through that game, they stuck to what they do because they built the system, and it works, and it'll work again and again and again.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, I, w- I was worried about the new coach at Ohio State, um, you know, going up against that ball, right? Um, but but I did think that you know Ohio State you know had a similar team to the one with Ezekiel Elliott and I just thought they were going to run through them and I, I thought the talent was just going to be able to usurp the coaching and and I think them not going in with the lead as big as it was you know probably was a testament to a uh, Dabo and Clemson's you know fortitude their experience and the the game was just a little bit too close in the second half for um for Ohio State to hold them off. But I think that's a great point. I think it's a great point. You know, admissions performers are, are really top performers in a lot of different industries or verticals. You know, they they talk about training so much as something that they're passionate about. Um, and sometimes when they say that, they actually mean coaching. Sometimes when they say that, they actually mean mean leading, right? Training is typically, you know, fundamentally, basically, you just rolling out some type of procedure or some type of you know, way to do things and explaining that from, you know, A to Z, right? This is how you actually perform a phone call, right? Here's the script. Here's the guide. Here's what you need to follow. Right. And usually a training can be done, you know, in some type of group setting, um, where you actually roll that new procedure, that new phone guide out, you know, for everyone in the organization to see, right? Right. Coaching is, you know, more individualized and focused, right? So what is, you know, once we roll out this new script, this new guide, okay, what part of the guide is Yates struggling with? Uh, What part of the guide is uh, Brandon struggling with? What type of, you know, what part of the guide is uh, Emily struggling with, right? And then being able to spend, you know, individual focused time, you know, with that individual to help them get better, you know, within the confines of the entire guide or script so that they, so that they become better. Right. So if you take, you know, go back to your analogy of a football team, right. You know, we may roll out, you know, this three, four defense, you know, and then we may work individually with uh, a defensive back in terms of, you know your coverage right you know um as, as as on a nine route you know uh how do you look at the quarterback how do you look at the safety help you know and then how do you handle that right and then you know i may work with the defensive end on tackling right um knowing you know which gap to shoot right so coaching is, is, is more individualized and focused on a person's particular skill and it should be metric uh driven which means you know, let's say if, you know, the appointment setting is, you know, maybe your standard 60% and you've got a rep that's at 40%. Okay. So if I find out that, um, this particular rep is struggling with their ability to gain commitment and by working with them on improving their ability to gain commitment, I should be able to move their appointment set rate from 40% to 47, 48% over a one or two week period. Right. That's coaching. Right. Leading um, becomes a lot more intricate because it's okay. What's the system? Right. How do I prepare? You know, the team, what type of support am I giving the team to make sure that they, you know, have every single opportunity to. Uh, uh uh succeed. So I, I think one of to me one of the greatest examples of leadership. Now, you know I'm a Pete Carroll guy, right? Re- uh Red went forever, you know, used the pyramids a lot. You know, I I, I really, you know, believe in, in in Pete Carroll's system and his journey. You know, he's one of only three coaches to win a national championship and a Super Bowl. But it was interesting when I read his book and he came into what I call the revelation of the win forever strategy and approach. I was like, wow, there's somebody that already does this though. It was Bill Belichick, right? And, you know, I'm like, man, like everything that you're saying that this philosophy embodies, the Patriots are already doing this, right? And, you know, it was unbelievable for me to see the Seahawks and the Patriots in the Super Bowl. And I'm rooting for Pete. I'm rooting for the Seahawks. And literally Belichick leadership shines through on a one yard line. And I forget what his name, Malcolm, what was his name? Malcolm Butler picks off yep. the pass on the one yard line. And he literally says, we went over this all day, every week. I mean, all, excuse me, all week, every day in practice. And I was prepared for it. To me, that's leading because literally your vision, your foresight, put in a strategy approach and went over it consistently. So this guy who was in retail maybe eight months ago literally becomes the hero of the Super Bowl because he saw what you told him. If he sees this, he simply makes a beeline to that gap. And they win. And a lot of times that's the difference between winning and losing. It's a percentage point, right? Um, If that, but that game literally came down to the fact that Belichick had prepared his team slightly, ever so slightly, better than Pete. And it stopped uh, Seahawks from from repeating. So, um, you know, I think when you talk about training, coaching, and leading. Yeah, I mean, the the minute as you transition, or maybe you've already transitioned, and you
1: figure that piece out, the game changes. Everything changes right then and there. Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Care for your team. Develop a team concept. Develop a vision and a code that you guys have built together, and watch how things change. I, I, I can promise you that. This episode is brought to you in part by Chief Digital Marketers, the leading marketing agency for higher education and healthcare companies. Chief Digital Marketers ensures alignment between your marketing strategy, customer journey, and call center operations to guarantee qualified leads that turn into revenue at scale. To learn more or to get an audit of your current marketing initiatives, please visit chiefdigitalmarketers.com. As the person to introduce me to that book, <laughs> you wanted
0: to expand on that. I mean, you know, the the, the way it is, Shepherd is, is is something that I give to you know everyone when they start to make that leap from, you know, okay, I was an admissions representative or an intake rep, and now I'm an intake manager, I'm an admissions manager, right? Because I think a lot of the soft skills, um, you know, kind of get lost. And you got to think about it, right? When you get promoted, well, from a, from a rep to a manager, you're still in that mindset of this is my opportunity, right? I've got to win, right? And you still, you really become more selfish than you've ever probably been, but you're not conscious of it. And then you're really trying to, you know, you're not realizing that I need all 10 of these reps to excel in order for me to be successful. And, you know, if you don't understand, you know, the way of the shepherd, you know, how to build those relationships um, and and stop trying to go in for results immediately, um, you're going to struggle and your reign could be, you know, extremely short, you know, so that book was always an attempt instead of, you know, me trying to, you know, tell someone, you know, what it is, let's read this story, you know, let's see what you take away from it. Let's see if your eyes, you know, kind of get open to the reality of of leadership, right? Because do you want to be a manager or do you want to be a leader, right? I think that part uh, is extremely important and essential. You know, I, I tend to think you manage processes, but you lead people. Um, so that's always been my been my philosophy in that regard. Okay, so the team tanked for two weeks while Yates was gone. That increases my value, right? That that means that this team can't produce without me being here. Right. And it's people that literally think like That's that, off. right. It's, it's people that, that literally think like that. And then, you know, even in emissions management, you know, a lot of times, you know, one of the big you know practices is that you review calls, right. And a lot of people, you know, get into the habit of, you know, every time you listen to a call, you know, with the rep, you know, it's 13, 14, 15 things that they did terribly. And a lot of time that new manager is literally just doing the same thing that his or her manager did and the one before him. So they actually think, hey, now that I'm promoted, I get to tell you 14, 15 different things that you did terribly on your call. Right. And, you know, what they don't understand is it creates a culture of hopelessness. Right. Because what happens is every single time you listen to a call with a rep, you find 14, 15 things that they did wrong so they can never pass the test. Like they could never win, you know, and then uh, your credibility starts to wane as well, because they start to realize that sometimes your, you know, critique is based on outcomes, right? So if they had five enrollments this, that week or five schedules or what happened. You say, Hey, that was an awesome call. Right. And then they do the call the exact same way the next week. And you're giving them 15, 16 things that they did, you know, but your reps are savvy. They understand that there's no consistencies, there's no system. So what you want to do is you want to be able to say, hey, that was an awesome call, right? We're not going to win them all, but continue that. And if we if you do that, then we're going to have more wins than losses, right? That's how you build your credibility. Um, they understand that you, you care about them, and they understand that, okay, this is the blueprint. If I stay within that, you know, there may be coaching opportunities and tweaks within it, but I'm not going to sit in front of Yates and th- literally I just listen to 15 calls and whatever 15 times 15 is, that's how many things they, different things that they found wrong with those 15 calls. Right. Um, I'll never get this right. Right. So I become demotivated. Yeah. Well, and so if you, I think what you're saying, and
1: this is a philosophy that I've you know, had for a long time is coach to the behaviors not to the spreadsheet, right. not to the numbers. If you teach and preach the right behaviors, eventually the numbers will get there, right? Um, the minute you start focusing on the backing and forget about the little things that get that get you right. there or that get your team there, you're gonna struggle. It's just, it, it is what it is. So focus on the behaviors, focus on the person, set the right expectations, and you just continue to do that. And you continue to do that and chop away and chop away. And, you know, eventually you'll get there. So. Here's how I wanted to, to wrap things up today. A couple, a couple of things. Um, look out for us a lot this year. You know, to what Kamara was saying earlier, you know, we understand that um, you know, we want to help as many people as possible um, you know, with our stories, our successes, our you know, sometimes epic failures. Uh, so look out for us on YouTube. Uh, look out for us on you know, LinkedIn. Um, please, at any time, we are... This is our very first podcast. We will get better, I can promise you that, Uh, but we appreciate any and all feedback, Um, you know, and just, we want to, uh, you know, give others the tools that, you know, maybe we didn't always have, you know, coming up through. Um, So if you're not there right now, um, that's fine. The same thing like we're doing right now, you gotta start somewhere. So feel free to, you know, reach out to us with any questions or, you know, comments, Uh, Kamar, you know, I appreciate your, you know, valuable insight today. Um,
0: And until next time, guys. Hey, great job, Yates.
1: Thanks for listening to the Higher Ed Podcast. This episode was brought to you in part by Engine Systems and Chief Digital Marketers. For more information on topics discussed, you can visit engine.systems or chiefdigitalmarketers.com. Join us next week and every week after for more innovative and actionable advice.